0: Join me as we accelerate the transition to cleaner, safer and smarter vehicles and grow the industry around the world. For today's show, we've got a really exciting episode lined up. Uh, We have uh, someone talking to us from the USA. Uh, Hopefully all the technology works out uh, fine, but if the quality is not quite up to the the usual, it's because we're going over a really, really long distance. Um, We've got Virginia Irwin-Klausmeyer talking to us, and she is the founder and CEO of a really interesting company called Silvertex. So welcome to the show, Virginia.
1: Brian, thank you so much for having me great
0: to be here and uh i'm really interested in in the the conversation today and learning more about the technology and and uh, the stuff that you're doing at silver because that sounded so interesting when i first heard about it but uh if we could start out by just finding out a bit more about you basically if you could um tell us about your background and kind of how you got to be doing what you're doing now
1: completely yeah um, so I, I think I'll just start a little bit more through the journey that got me through, uh, education. <laughs> so formal education was in chemistry and, uh, ended up doing, uh, engineering. And my first part of my life was focused on biomechanical engineering. And I got to work for a fortune, you know, fortune 100 company, travel all over the world, um, and work with a, within a big organization, and you know, I think my my driving theme as a human was um getting more clear that I wanted to do something that was impactful to help a broader, you know, a big base of, of people. Right. And I think I had armed myself with skills in, you know, um, of course, kind of a science background, but then started to get better and understand um, you know, more around business and the economics of um, more broader macroeconomic trends. I um you know, when I was, I'd say probably, uh, late twenties, I was really influenced by my late father who, you know, at the time, um, he, he had been focused on kind of clean energy and clean fuels his, probably his entire life. He had a double, um, uh, in an MD and then a double PhD. And so he, you know, was heavily skilled in the sciences, <laughs> but not so much, you know, not so much in business. We kind of, looking back, I realized he was kind of like a, um, you know, he was like addicted to learning, <laughs> and like you know, and always was on the edge of the learning curve, which is, um, I think, you know, as I sort of grow into my adulthood, um, pretty profound and an exciting place to be, but Hey, you know, I, I think I, I realized as I was getting, you know, into this career and, um, having, you know, quite a bit of success that, you know, I was getting more curious about what he had been spending his time and energy on. And he had been really looking at transportation energy, um, and, you know, different ways to use bio-based materials and just sort of just, you know, high level green chemistry, right. At a at big, big element so that you could really, um, have smarter systems that were more, uh, aligned and congruent with of nature. And, um, I, I got really inspired, I'd say, by some of that work. Um, and uh, unfortunately, he ended up passing away pretty abruptly from from pancreatic cancer, which sadly is not uncommon these days. And um, and you know, for me, it was a it was a a big shift, right? So it was, I was sort of faced with this, you know, this human who I was very close to, who you know was probably one of the most important people in my life, um, who was incredibly inspiring and talented. And I had like also, uh, you know, have, you know, I had in my own right, a lot of, um, a lot of success in the business side and, you know, this background. And I, I decided to make a pretty big shift into clean energy um, at, you know, at that point, it was definitely founded off of some of the concept he had started with clean fuels um, and trying to impact sort of transportation energy in a big scale. And uh, that, that started me off on my entrepreneurial efforts. And, you know, since I founded Silvatex, you know, just shy of a decade ago, um, you know, the intent was how do we have better industrial applications, you know, manufacturing techniques that really change the carbon profile and economics of transportation energy and just energy in general. Um, and that's not kind of a small problem to set out for solving, (laughs) you know, it's a big one, you know, and I think through that process, um, you know, I've been able to source some great, um, you know, investors, uh, folks that have been involved in large industrial manufacturing techniques, you know, elements like that. Um, uh, and I, I've been very, very wonderful, you know, very fortunate to have this amazing group around me mostly we were based in the Bay Area and over um, in California. And I would say, you know, over the last probably, you know, six years, our thesis has, you know, I think in our thesis, we've really recognized the importance around EV transportation and the energy transition. And, um, you know, I think for us, we started to really focus on solutions we could have in that space that could be meaningful and impactful. So we kind of went from big picture, right? Like what does the future of the world look like in the transportation sector and how can we influence it in a very positive way? And um, we landed on uh, making EV battery materials in a way that is much more energy efficient and also much lower in cost so that we could ultimately, you know, make the energy transition of these batteries and uh, make it much more effective for uh, not only EVs, but the whole energy transition. So that's, that's been, you know, and I can kind of tease out a little bit more about that shorter term journey of some of the decisions we've made along the way, but, um, in general that, you know, that's where we've been focused for, um, the last three years since COVID because COVID was another big kind of pivot point for many people on the planet. (laughs) But for, you know, for us, it it became very clear that, you know, when it comes to energy and transportation to energy, you know, they like, I'd say many governments um, and uh, all over the world have been doubling down on EV. And that transition really has been solidified significantly over the last, you know, few, you know, year, few months. So
0: it does feel Um, strange and maybe somewhat validating and strange in a good way. (laughs) Um, Thinking back on, um, you know, 10 years ago, the the kind of most, a lot of time was spent convincing people that electric vehicles were a good idea. Um, In the UK, we used to get a lot of jokes about milk, milk floats, which I don't know that translates particularly well into the U S but everyone in the UK was familiar with very slow moving, ugly um, vehicles that were used to deliver milk early in the morning uh, that were powered by electric, and uh, that's what most people thought of when they thought of an electric vehicle. So, the world has changed massively in the last um, sort of fifteen um, years or so, and and really the, that accelerated massively twenty twenty sort of sixteen twenty seventeen, and then uh, the last couple of years in particular to the point now where it's um, you know it's 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 a, a almost a given like it is happening um it is it is the direction you want to decarbonize you need to electrify uh to get more efficient vehicles more choices on how you generate the um the fuel that they're using uh the energy that they're using so yeah that's it, it, it's amazing actually what's happened there and and the context today people listen to it, well of course it's obvious isn't it well you know <laughs> it wasn't even fairly recently um it still wasn't so obviously you have a chemistry background, so you are a chemist. Um, so you're one of you're one of them. Um, but <laughs> you're, uh, I, I've got a, I, it was the science that I really didn't get on with, uh, if I'm honest. So uh, my <laughs> engineer, I just couldn't remember all the you know. There's a lot of stuff to remember in chemistry. You must have had a very good memory. Um, and y- you you picked um, this sort of. It, it sounded like it was a deliberate. Uh, sort of choice of a problem you were going to go and try and solve rather than the other way around where people, um, you know, quite often scientists or engineers, they come up with a technology and then it kind of finds its solution, particularly in the materials space. There's a lot of, this is, you know, graphene, it's the new best material ever. How are we going to use it? We don't really know yet, but it's the new best material ever. And then they kind of work out ways. How did that happen for you? How did, you know... Was it that that you thought, right, actually, as a, with my skills, as a chemist, I think we can make um, battery materials more accessible? Or was it that you had the kernel of a, well, I know somewhat about that particular thing. And I think we could do it better. Like, how how did you, was it like a brainstorming session of a, what are the world's biggest problems we could solve? You know, how did that go?
1: Super, super good question. Um, and I feel like pretty relevant for a lot of people that are, you know, reflecting on their lives. So there was, I'd say um, three different elements that tie into that. One was, I was a point in my career where I had gotten a lot of exposure, right? And I had, I was armed with sort of this chemistry and engineering background, but I had been more, um, I'd been operating more on sort of the business side. So I started to understand really what made the business part of the world tick, right? So you can have the best solution, but it doesn't, I mean, you've, I'm sure every technical person has heard this, right? You can have the best solution, but it doesn't always win, right? It has to be marketed right. It has to be financed, right. You have to have a commercial strategy, right. So there's a lot of elements that tie into it that I think was really useful for me to get exposure to. Um, so I had that, you know, I had that good foundation kind of at this stage in my, in my life. And then, um, and then I also was inquisitive, right. I was at a point where I was like, Hey, I, you know, I could either move. I saw a path moving forward in that kind of career and where that would lead. And I didn't really feel like it was enough. Right. And so I was getting curious. It was brainstorming. Like, what do I want for my life? How do I want things to progress? What is the what's really keeping me up at night? What am I concerned with? And, you know, at that point, I wasn't married with children, but I definitely was, you know, recognized that I was fearful of even getting married with children because I didn't know what the world was going to look like for the children that I was going to future, you know, have in the future. Right. And so I think it was just like impending fear of just, you know, and then sort of the element of that was, okay, well, well, this is like I need to do something about this, right? Like, how do how do I do more? And the third sort of element that I think was, you know, I'd say the the really big pivot point was being faced with this sort of life, you know, altering time period with one, my father passing away, but, um, and just sort of having a new, you know, giving me a different like vigor of just being like, life is short. You need to make impact, you know, make it impactful. Um, but also he had, he had invented an alternative fuel, right? So he had invented this technology, um, in the garage. I'd seen it over periods of time. I was helping him, with his path of trying to put together a business plan when he got um, diagnosed and passed away. And we had done a demonstration and we saw it work, right? We saw a fuel that was low carbon, that was significantly low emissions, um, that could be a game changer. And, you know, I think with that, I did have this, this concept of an actual technical solution that I could kind of use to go out to market with. So that, that helped, but, um, from there, it you know I think it turned out that as we started to push that into commercialization after I started Silvatex, you know I, you know we did kind of move forward with fuels as kind of our first place to really have an impactful solution set. Uh, but I I think you know being a California based company, we really kept on hearing, (laughs) you know, California is known now for not going to be selling any combustion engines. Right. Uh, I think it's what 2030. So, you know, they've always been on the cutting edge and really towards electrification and pushing that. So, you know, I think it really, um, that was right place, right time on really getting clear on what type of impact we wanted to make. So we, you know, I, I did make sure and, you know, do massive brainstorming, sessions around the mission, the overall mission of what we wanted to do. And is this product solution fit the best to focus our time and attention on, or is there others? And then we pivoted and we had technical success in many, you know, in another area that was manufacturing materials for EVs. And then we, you know, over the course of the last few years have constantly put more and more effort. Now that's our sole focus. So, you know, I think it is a toggle of kind of the big brainstorming sessions and having that big mission, um, you know, that for me, the transition to take literally the leap of faith and jump and just try to grow my wings as I fly, um, was a combination of where I was in my professional career and also personal, you know, personal trajectory. Um, but I think it was use, you know, it was really useful for me to have something more tangible as far as like a um, a product solution fit and then go down the experimentation phase and, um, and really be thoughtful about is this tackling the mission in the best way and develop a really healthy process, um, in, in that.
0: Yeah. Cool. So that, so there was, there's sort of a clear, actually, um, you kind of started out doing something different, I guess, and then pivoted you know, and took the kind of skills and expertise and pivoted into something that the market and people were telling you, you know, Hey, you know, actually what you've got, eh, not so much, but could you do this? (laughs) And and you went, yeah, that's really cool. Like, I think that sort of probably took quite a long time to get from point A to point B there, but um, to everyone else, it appears like it happened overnight and
1: completely yeah and that's what i would say for you know any any listeners is that there is a lot of for every entrepreneur you talk to there is so many factors of um you know micro shifts that occur from learning you know the, these are dynamic markets right um and the more that you can have flexibility in your thinking um of your product market fit and your like in even what you're trying to sell or produce um, you know, it seems like the, the better off you are at being able to find that solution and really, um, hit it on the nose.
0: Good point to talk about what the business actually does. So we know what you, what you don't do now. <laughs> um, you don't make, uh, fuel, alternative fuels. Uh, but what it, tell us what, what it is that you do? What's the, what is the core business of, uh, Silvertex?
1: Yeah, completely. So Silvertex or we, we shorten it for SVX some of the time, um, is future-proofing the manufacturing, the largest cost and carbon footprint driver in the lithium-ion battery, which is the cathode. So we are making that cathode material, known materials and potentially future materials in ways that are much, much more effective for not only today, but also the future.
0: And is that um, sort of fundamental materials science or more kind of manufacturing process technology or te- tell us how you're achieving that.
1: It's I mean, quite honestly, it's a blend of the two. Um, So what you'll see, I mean, what we started to see was we looked at the battery space was that a lot of lithium ion battery, you know, materials, right? It was um, first, there was a lot of material innovation over the last decades. And um, it was always, you know, how do we create material that can be used in these, in these batteries in the effective ways, have longer, you know, longer charge times, have um, you know, just just more around the performance enhancements, um, and now with I'd say the EV energy transition really starting to move pretty quickly. It's less about you know the the materials I think are more known. Like there's more known about the material science, and people have locked into specific chemistries, um, and that will have sort of micro evolutions. But it's all about scale, right? How do we scale these? How do we scale these materials? that are, you know, nanomaterials in ways that are, um, much, much more efficient. So, you know, to date, even though they have, you know, there is a market for cathode material for lithium ion batteries that are high nickel or, you know, iron based, they, you know, they, they've been scaled for other, you know, other markets that are smaller (laughs) and, um, that that are much, much smaller market size, um, for the you know, to, to make a battery in the EV, um, it has to scale up what, like a hundred X. So the market is experiencing that massive growth and what we do. And what we focused was even though we have a, an advanced manufacturing technique that is novel and it could offer probably a good platform to produce novel materials in a more effective way. Um, we've chosen to, just focus on making the known materials for the EV and energy sector now, and what the market's growing in. Just because there's such a huge gap and need and desire.
0: You make yourself, or are you doing manufacture? You know, in house, or are you sort of helping the big chemical companies improve or, or implement processes? Where 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 do you kind of come into that value chain?
1: Yeah. So we, um, good question. And the short answer is like to be determined. I mean, just to kind of give you some information, you know, stats around the U S market, um, there's the U S battery market to hit the numbers of EV materials for, um, 2030. Uh, there's been quite a bit of battery manufacturing that is, you know, coming online in the near term, but the, just the cathode material production, that's, coming online, it satisfies 4% of that. <laughs> mm. So, um, so there's a huge gap on what's needed to supply this growing market. Well, and that's only in us, not even North America, not, you know, in other markets. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so it's a massive, um, massive opportunity. You know, right now we have piloted our advanced manufacturing techniques that are a step change in cost. So they're, they're, They're making it so um, like the way that we manufacture the material is dry. So we bring capex, capex in a, you know, reduction down significantly. So the amount of capital you need up front is like, you know, potentially um, north of 40% lower, which is significant. Um, And then not only that, we're making it in a way that, you know, we, we massively reduce the OPEX costs uh, and that we can make it so that you're using a broader range of, Input materials so that you can even further drop that cost and allow for more flexibility. So that's something that we're we're currently um, like working on the scale. So we've done lab scale, of course. Pilot scale is where we're at now. We're working towards a commercial demonstration scale in the near term, and then um, and just with you know, I'm sure you you've talked about this, but there's a lot of dynamics in the marketplace where OEMs are trying to go really upstream to secure their, you know, to secure their supply. And, um, you know, we're not sure if we're going to be the manufacturer to do that, or if we're going to work with a joint venture to do that, um, or something in between. Um, I think there's a lot of optionality. We're trying to maintain an open, you know, open, flexible front, um, because it does seem like there's a a pretty big scramble and flexibility is key to create the most value in the, in the marketplace in the near term and long-term.
0: It's not quite set, I think, with um, battery plants in terms of, um, you know, some plants make, um, well, from pretty much raw material in to finished cells out, whereas other plants are taking in uh, pre-processed material, so they take reels of material in, dice and slice them, and then put uh, finished cells out. So there's there's kind of some variances in the market in terms of the level of, verticalization in just in from one battery plant to another in terms of how much of the, the process, um, is, is going on in inside the battery plants. So that that's a big to be decided, I think in, um, in the industry still.
1: Like a lot of the active materials. So like the cathode and the anode can't be made on site of the battery. So they're made at a different location and what's becoming more and more, um, of hurdles since you know i don't uh, know the exact number off the top of my head but some are you know north of 90% of the materials have been made um in asian markets you know the um as those start to be made more you know a lot of the mandates in europe and in north america are to make them more localized right and to make them more localized you have to be making them in ways that are much more environmentally friendly because of just massive restrictions and that causes a big bottleneck and where they can be actually produced, um, in a sustainable way, right? Cause the, the, the manufacturing techniques today are incredibly, um, energy inefficient.
0: Just to explain, um, that one a bit, uh, I've talked about this and seen it. I'm no expert at all, but the conventional, so if we started there, the conventional manufacturing process, wet process, for uh, active cathode uh, material, can you describe that? Because it's a pretty crazy process, actually. When you th- when you think about it at scale, um, how do people do it today?
1: Yeah, so to um, and that's definitely a great place to start. So um, the the act the current process is called co precipitation, and it it uses um, first off you you take um, all of the transitional metals, so like the nickel, the cobalt. Um, not like the lithiums are usually, um, lithium hydroxide, but most of the, most of the metals, um have a sulfate on them. So that's a big portion of the molecule that's being shipped and transported. (laughs) And then, um, and then you have a huge tank where you have initially, um, all of, you know, the, the metal inputs, um, going in and dissolving. So the sulfate helps them all dissolve. And then, um, those all combine and come together and then you separate and dry that out. And then you add in the lithium as a second step. Um, and, uh, and then you take that and calcine it or, you know, put it in a big heater, um, at really high temperatures that makes them into, you know, nice small particles and, um, and burns off all the other contaminants that could be in the battery. So then after that, you have a powder, you know, black powder, that's a cathode material that, that can either be, um, you know, you can coat that or do something else. Uh, there's other sort of, Items that can happen um, after that process for, you know, for performance enhancements. But most of it is, you know, most of the process is actually just the, the manufacturing process. And in that, um, the reason I mentioned the sulfate material is that it requires a huge amount of water, right? So you have like if you look at a tank, 80% of what's, you know, 60 to 80% of what's in the tank is not to come out. So the yields really low. It's you know it's waste contaminants, it's waste material um that either has to get dealt with, right? You either have to manage the sulfuric acid that comes off the side of it, you know, and water and manage that wastewater streams, which is challenging in you know in different um environmental markets that have more constraints, right? Which are probably better for the planet. Um well they are better for the planet. That's not a problem. <laughs> <Yeah, yeah, laughs> so yeah. I'm just trying to be. I'm just trying to be kind of diplomatic.
0: So that initial part of the process there for the active cathode material, where you you're going from sort of raw inputs to um, a powder that's ready to go into the uh, the coating process. That um, that part of the the process is yeah. You, know, you you're turning out tens of you know. It, it's not making one or two kilos of, of material. This is like serious scale tonnage needed for, um, battery production. And you're doing that on a batch by it's a batch to batch basis, isn't it? There's no, it's not continuous process.
1: It is a continuous process in the, like, I think in more of the larger shops, but they are, but to your point, the the volumes are, are are massively increasing, right? So again, this was, you know, this was a process and, you know, that was designed for manufacturing these high-end materials, high-value materials at a, at a smaller scale for cell phones. And now they're trying to really expand the scale so significantly. Um, and so you have a lot of different lines, right? But it, it, the limiting factor is you, it, is you're using a huge amount of, water and waste kind of in it. So your yield of what you put in is so much smaller from what you get out, right? Um, so there's a lot of, it, just generally from high, high level, it's inefficient. And then you have a huge amount of water um, that gets used in the process. So that's, you know, having high grade water and like all of that is a is a limiting factor, I think across the board for battery manufacturing, but um, really it's highlighted in cathode, um, cathode manufacturing. And when you're looking at the battery pack itself, uh, about 50% of the energy or carbon that it takes to make the battery pack when you look at the full carbon intensity or carbon life cycle about half of that is from cathode material alone so it's a you know for being a relatively small amount of material it's a huge um it's a huge part of the carbon profile and also cost i mean just to sort of add that in on the cost profile today it's about you know, maybe even up to 70%, but mostly around 60% of, um, of the battery pack is just the cathode material. So it's, um, you know, it's a highly high cost, you know, it's the biggest bottleneck of, of everything. Right. Um, and you know, the general sentiment is of the industry growing and expanding. It's the biggest bottleneck by far. And we're not making barely enough of it, you know, to hit, you know,
0: near term goals. Interesting that, um, I mean, the manufacturing capacity is one thing. Obviously, you know, but but what really interests me there, uh, you know, gets me excited about what you're saying is that obviously a, a lot of people love to have a go at EVs. The high cost of the vehicle, like that's one thing, but the the, the input um, CO two being higher than it is with a combustion uh, vehicle. So it's that's got a lot better over the last couple of years. So anyone looking at three or four year old Figures will get a surprise if they, um, when they look at uh, things for new vehicles, because it's getting, we gain manufacturing efficiencies all the time to reduce the CO2. But then, such a huge number coming from active cathode material, so 50% of the pack, I mean, that's going to be a huge proportion of the overall vehicle CO2. And, you know, basically what you're saying is, hey, there's a huge amount that we could take out of that. So it's not that that's fixed and there's nothing that we could do to make that better. You're actually saying we could we can make that loads better. Bring it on. Yeah. We
1: can make that loads better. I'm not only, i not only, you know, it, I mean, it's literally, you can make that loads better from a cost profile, like massively change the cost dynamics to bring the cost of cathode material significant, significantly down, which would bring the battery packs significantly down. And then thus, you know, hopefully that translates to the EV, but you know, who knows who's going to capture that value. Um, but the, um, but the other side of it is when you're looking just at trying to retain, you know, carbon efficiency is a lot of it can be done on the manufacturing standpoint. So, you know, the the thing that's interesting about where we are in the world right now, is there's such a dynamic around scale, 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 fast, 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 right? Um, the scale, you know, even at the scale that it's, uh, you know, the same type of manufacturing techniques just expanded coming online. One, it doesn't meet carbon- um, carbon neutral benefits, the OEMs have set for themselves. Right. So it doesn't get, it doesn't get the industry to the carbon zero goal. Right. And what, what we kind of designed, you know, what we focused on design was, okay, what would, right. You need to do something different and you need to do something, um, that is making these new materials, because if you change any of the materials in the battery, then it goes through a, a whole different life cycle of, you know, coming at path to market, which is just challenging. Um, to predict and manage. So we didn't want to kind of play that risk profile game. Um, but we can do, you know, we can add a huge amount of value with just, just staying focused on increased manufacturing techniques, uh, and being able to do it in a way that is really thoughtful and forward looking that not only drives the economics opens up optionality for the future, but also, massively reduces the carbon profile and waste um, so that it could not only be made, you know, be able to be permitted (laughs) in places like Europe and in the US, um, but also can ultimately help with the curb the carbon, you know, the the global emissions, which is the ultimate goal.
0: One um, topic I I was talking about um, in a recent podcast episode was to do with the sort of changing chemistries in battery. And you you just touched on this, but you know, the, a lot of the high performance packs, they are uh, NMC, obviously a bit of sort of um, an effort to try and get rid of the cobalt because of, you know, the cost of that plus, the, I mean, the, the actual literal economic cost plus the sort of social costs of acquiring cobalt. Um, but then we, we got onto this sort of resurgence in um, uh, lithium iron, um, you know, LF, FAPO4 uh, batteries. So. To be honest, when I first came across years ago, I didn't think they were going to be suitable for use in vehicles, but now actually they've they've improved to the extent where they they are and and the vehicles can deal with it. So I guess the question is, your process, um, are you kind of agnostic to all of that or are you kind of also facilitating, I don't know, like the transition from a cobalt-based to uh, cobalt-free or do you you not see that really in, in the kind of work you're doing?
1: So sh- short answer is all of the above. So we are we are agnostic to the chemistry. Our, we're designing the process um, so that it can go across the trends. Um, one of the things that we saw that was really interesting, you know, was that most of these manufacturing methods, they're really sensitive to the chemistry that's being made. So if you change chemistries or if those markets change dramatically, you can't utilize the same, the same asset um, in it you know, most of the time at all, but, um, definitely there'd be a lot of change that needs to happen. So we definitely are designing the process to be able to be chemistry agnostic. With that said, we, we are focused on the sort of high nickel, um, low cobalt materials like the NMC 811, et cetera, um, for the market in the near term. And uh, just because that, you know, I think that there's a lot of opportunity, to use recycled materials as a lot of these battery manufacturing plants come online and then there's waste and, you know, there's just a lot, of, a lot more opportunity there to, um, to satisfy the the market, uh, and also doing a way that really can curb the carbon and cost profiles. Um, but we, you know, we, the industry, I mean, I just came from an industry conference and you know, there, there is definitely um, LFP is is definitely going to be in the mix, you know, in the short and long term. The thing that's interesting, though, is LFP mostly was being a driver because of cost. Um, and, you know, just because the, the price of lithium has been so high, it's such a big portion of the lithium price um, is, you know, in LFP, um, it actually was higher in cost than NMC. So I think that, you know, when, yeah, so, I mean, exactly right. You laugh and it's like, you know, these, these poor OEMs or, you know, automotive OEMs are trying to figure out, well, how do we, <laughs>
0: it's like, I gave a pinball.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's So sad. So, you know, I think that, um, you know, I think what I'm hearing by and large is, one, you need to have the ability to kind of uh, toggle, right? You need to have more flexibility, you need to have the ability to toggle, um, and you need to go down, you know, go more higher upstream to secure your price and secure your materials in a more healthy way. And, you know, I think for us, that's that's kind of what we are hearing and we think is um, a great healthy path forward.
0: Before I jump into some other questions, um, cause I, I've written down about six there. For <laughs> like, oh, I want to know, but, uh, you know, but be a good, you, you, you sort of told us the way that it's currently done. So this, um, wet process. So tell us about your technology. What is it that you guys have, uh, have come up with?
1: Yeah, definitely. So we have targeted away. I mean, we, 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 sort of looked for the future and designed backwards and said, okay. We're we're used to de- designing for and focusing on big industrial applications and manufacturing techniques to do, you know that utilize green chemistry in a way that's really effective. Um, and what we saw in the future was one we needed to design a process that was the most efficient possible, so that you could get to the carbon you know zero goals um, and empower the, the the industry to hit those because there's no way. Um, that that can happen if you're not targeting advanced manufacturing techniques in cathode right that's like a zero percent probability so that's where we where we focused and to do that you need to have a process that's dry um, that's really energy efficient so that means that you're bringing these nanomaterials you know these these metals together in in a um in a very efficient process um so that's usually using smart green chemistry practices and some material science, etc. Right, so I think that really played on our experience of um, doing nanomaterial synthesis and being able to, you know, blend that in with green chemistry practices. So, you know, we we focus on using a, a inorganic material that the or sorry, an organic material that brings inorganics together. So that means something that's carbon-based and is bio-based, cetera, natural that can bring these molecules together, um, the metals, transition metals, in a in a very effective way. And we do that without using water.
0: Just re- rewind a little bit. Uh, nanomaterial synthesis. What's that?
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Um, very, very small things coming together. No, but it's, it, it is when you're, you know, building um, very fine materials from um, from the ground up. So one of the things that's important for not only cathode material, um, but a lot of nanomaterials Is you're really having building blocks where you have layers, right? So you have like the nickel, and then you have the lithium, all you know, um, material, and so that the electrons can sort of be more efficiently passed through. So you're you're really building these materials from at a nano scale up, uh, and to do that, you have to um, to do that well, so they perform well. You have to have smart synthesis techniques that bring them that build the molecules together in a in an efficient way. But you know, nano nanomaterial synthesis, I mean, it sounds like a lot of jargon, but if you just think about the smallest things that you can get down to, like the electron level, like those you know, a particle of metal is you're just putting, you're just being thoughtful about putting them together, the architecture of building them um in in an effective way. And you know, we use, you know, natural-based material that helps to Bring those molecules in a in a way that um, that helps to b- bind them together. Kind of like you would have, you know, like an egg in a recipe that's probably a really bad example. I, I need to think of a better one.
0: I heard people talk about scaffolds before when they're talking about nanomaterial constructs. Is that uh, is this what we're talking about here? Scaffolds?
1: Yeah, kind of, yeah, kind of. It's it's helping to create the architecture in an effective way, and then they can combine and come together, and then you just pretty much burn them at the, into that, that molecule. Right. And burn off all the other materials.
0: I still don't understand, but <laughs> that's cause I'm not a chemist.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like scaffolding. It is like scaffolding. Yeah, it is. It is.
0: There's a reason why I didn't enjoy chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so it's kind of, um, talking really fundamental change in terms of how you're coming up to the final cathode material, but something that I would imagine, um, is it easier to control that sort of process or, or, or get to a consistent result? Uh, you know, your new new technique compared to the traditional methods?
1: Great question. I think like the jury's still out. We know that we can control the process and we know we can get continuous good material out. So we know both of those are true. Um, we do believe that it is going to offer more, you know, I'd say more optionality um because you just are doing more direct synthesis support right so it, it it seems to all be along that trend but yeah it i think that we're we'll have substantial proof in the near term <laughs> that's true
0: i've heard people talking about where they're using a process like uh, plasma basically you know to create the nanoparticles at a small scale, it's a really effective process, but it doesn't scale up particularly well, you know, because uh, uh, you, you, you've got to pull a like a vacuum down and there's all sorts of process, technical constraints, purities and all sorts of things going on where you can make a small batch really well. But then to make a big batch, it just just, just doesn't work. Um, will you have those kind of things to overcome or is, do you think you're you're
1: great? I love that question because I think it goes back to your, your framing of did you have a technology you're trying to apply to a market? Or did you design a solution for a specific market need? And I think, you know, we did the latter, right? Where it, the, there's only like, I'd say a few other techniques that are kind of out there um, that are trying to tackle innovative approaches. And most of them have had technologies that have been used in different areas, but they're applying it to this market uh, massive scale, right? We, we kind of did the opposite. And we said, okay, what do we know about big industrial manufacturing techniques, um, because we, you know, kind of came from fuels, which is the largest volume of, you know, chemical manufacturing, um, by far and large. Right. So these volumes are significant and, um, and we applied, that type of thinking into making these nanomaterials. So I think it's been very, um, it's been very different. We, we've we always addressed it on a technical standpoint of what can be done at scale. And then how do we, then how do we prove that out from going from small scale to larger scale? So, um, you know, I think we're fairly confident uh, that our, our advanced manufacturing process can be scaled quite efficiently um, for sort of two reasons. One is we're not trying to make novel materials, so we can constantly confirm sort of the quality um, at a continuous scale basis. But then also we are um, the, you know, the, the actual engineering piece of it are, is using kind of equipment and techniques that have been used across different industries for a period of time, right? So we're not making like a high-grade plasma, you um, You know, engineering heavy thing that we have to make from small scale to large scale. And then also at the same time, I mean, it's just me, but that doesn't sound very energy efficient. (laughs) So, um, you know, we kind of said, okay, what's been out there? What are tech, you know, elements that can be working to come together um, and kind of stitch together a more effective solution for this specific scale need for this specific market application?
0: Can you tell us anything more about the? sort of uh, magic or is that kind of, I'm, I appreciate there was certain, they might not be able to tell us too much in terms of, um, you know, trade secrets and, and, and IP sort of things, but, um, how, you know, how much can you tell us about what you're actually, what you're doing in that process?
1: Yeah. I mean, I can't, yeah. I, I mean, a big portion of it is proprietary, but, um, the big thing is that, um, the big thing on the front end is that, uh, of the process is that we can use just the pure, you know, the the metals in the oxide form. So we don't have to have the sulfite molecule, which makes using recycled material much more effective and, um, and also just more efficient mined material and processed materials. So it really cuts down upstream manufacturing costs and, and carbon expenses. Um, and then the other side of that too, is that we, have it all done in a single pot so we can add the lithium in all together so it's a single pot process that is dry so we're not using it's not an inqueous solution we're combining a bunch of materials um, to help with the, making it you know we, we use a, a small amount like a trace amount of a of a solvent material that, that can be um, easily burned off so that's something that um you know has been in the design again thinking about big industrial scale Um, and is primed for us to be really competitive on a cost, um, cost standpoint, but also, um, creates a lot of, uh, optionality in the future, um, for hedges in, um, sort of mining or cost of material goods, right? So you can much more efficiently, um, hedge for, uh, you know, the different nickel or lithium or, you know, blends of chemistries
0: you talked about for 50%, um, so the AcuCafo being 50% approximately of the battery pack um, in terms of the cost and, and uh, CO2 uh, contribution. What, what do you think there is in in a potential saving in that? You know, where, where do you see that getting to with new processing technology like yours? Is it, are you taking 10% out or like 60% out of that
1: 50%? Of the 50%? So for... I mean, from an energy standpoint, um, from sort of the carbon standpoint, we think we can take away half of the current carbon footprint, um, you know, as we progress, not only from sort of the processing side, but if we also work on upstream optimization, we could, you know, that might even increase. Um, so it's significant, right? Um, and then the other piece of it is that, you know, we can imagine right now that we can slash... Um, the cost of the battery pack at least around 15%, um, which is you know mind-boggling um given that the and it probably can even be north of that, depending on again, sort of some of the upstream optimization and um the dynamics like controlling dynamics in that um in that market space. Uh so that I mean that's game changing for sort of if that translates to the cost of a vehicle, right? So one thing that's kind of interesting that we see as far as um a correlation is if you bring the cost of the battery pack of an EV down 1%, that equates out to a 3% increase in EV sales. So if we, you know, think that we can do it, you know, 10, 15% or even more, you know, that's about like an increase of sales like 45%, right? So you're just driving the cost down, make it more efficient, making them more readily available. So the there's a lot of elements that trickle down as shared benefits on the cost side. But then, you know, of course, what drives us is that we're, you know, allowing this marketplace to really unlock in a way that is the most carbon efficient to ultimately get the global carbon needs down, in a you know, in a very effective way. So you're not just sort of trading one problem child for another.
0: Yeah. yeah it's, it's what's so exciting about this, um, you know, this sort of period in time that it's not just you, obviously you guys are working on really exciting uh technology there with a huge potential benefit but you know there's there's a number of things all going on at the moment where you really can you, you know we're starting to see that cost trajectory of an ev falling um you know quite significantly over the next 10 years to the point where yeah you know, the market's just going to decide so the the investment that's going in and the the performance um, benefits and uh, sort of leaps forward in in cost reduction and things that are coming out, like because at the moment the discussion with people is it's a difficult one in terms of buying an EV because it's more upfront investment and uh, total cost of ownership and you kind of uh, kind of legislation driving it but actually we're not that far away um, with with everything that's coming where it just be like a no brainer.
1: Yeah, it's pretty close to becoming an operator, but there's still like a little bit, there's a learning curve and there's an you know, cause there's like different math you have to do, right? Cause I don't think that people today factor in the price of running their vehicle. <laughs> it's like the price of the car up front, but then you don't kind of factor in the price of running that vehicle where, you know, I think that that's very different math. Um, so that, you know, that is like a little bit of learning and the costs are coming down. So I think both of those are definitely trending in the right direction. Um, you know, and I think the other side of the curve is making sure that the markets have the materials to perform and produce, um, what the, you know, the, the growing demand. And, you know, I think that that's, what's keeping me up at night and, you know, quite honestly, there's enough sunshine to shine on all of the solutions out there, but we, you know, we need to really be thinking about scale fast, bigger, more, right? So all of your, you know, I just came back to this conference and the sort of key theme was like every assumption you're making just like double it or forex it to even, you know, help out the marketplace. And every one of us needs to continuously win and support each other. So there's, there's not, it's not a, it's not as much a competition as it is about um, growing together for a, a big big problem
0: solution it's not just electrification in um in automotive either you know electrification of, of cars you all forms of transport from cars to ships to planes you know the, it's the, really the electrification of everything plus add a big dollop of um you know stationary grid storage on the side and actually en- energy storage is vast such an important uh thing in in, in the coming years to allow us to manage demand and production of, of energy from different sources much more effectively it just the ability to store energy really is um, you know that that is a key transformational topic in so many different uh fields uh, you know things like why you can't have good mobile robots today that do a proper job well it's a lot of that's driven by battery system cost and and uh, functionality uh, that's why all the the um, you know, when you see uh, them the, the demonstrating the advanced robotic systems, quite often they've got a tether on the robot still, but, it's, you know, it's because it needs to get its energy from something that isn't the battery pack.
1: Kills that, that type of innovation value. But, you know, I think what you're saying is like, you know, it's kind of like building a website without the internet.
0: Yeah, exactly, yeah. And and, and there's so many fields where energy storage, battery energy storage are um, is, 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 making, is already making a huge impact, but you can just see... It won't take much more that, you know, that the, the market needs it, but also the technology is evolving to a point where it's kind of like this win-win situation of the more the technology evolves, the more new opportunities come through in addition to the already big opportunities. So when you, you know, just your comment about whatever you think, double it, um, I, th- I you know, I can see that in automotive, but, but I think some people still aren't looking wide enough beyond that to, to other kind of new um, opportunities that are coming along and be, be that as as boring in inverted commas as, as grid storage or as exciting in inverted commas as robots and, you know, flying stuff. You know, it, it's just, there's so much going on at the moment and batteries are at the heart of it. Motors and drives as well, but battery systems are at the heart of it. Uh, so I, I, this question is kind of, I look like, at, <laughs> I think I might know the answer to this already before I start, but the the, the other part of the process, so when you're making a battery, um, you've got your cathode material coming in, your active cathode material. So it's quite interesting, your description of the traditional process, which was a wet process, and then it makes a powder. Because then when you take that powder into the battery plant, there is the coating process, which is another wet process again at the moment. But there's been... People playing around with dry coating technology. And I was wondering if, if you had, you know, how does your technology fit in with with sort of dry coating? Is that something you see coming? Or cause because again, that's another huge step, you know, taking solvents out, dry that drying process out, making it possible to process.
1: Yeah. That's part of, yeah. And that's that's mostly done at the battery, like uh building the battery pack um, sell, uh, you know, piece of the puzzle, which is downstream of us. So all of it's all additive, right? So that innovation is absolutely necessary to, again, create a solution that drives down the carbon emissions of the overall battery pack. Um, and also the car, you know, the, the cost, um, but it's completely additive to all, all of the innovations that we're, that we're developing and focused on.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. So you wouldn't, and it's it's not something that's like, oh, well, you we couldn't do that if you're using our technology. Nope, not at
1: all. Yep. And that's the thing that's so be- like, I would say, you know, beautiful um, uh, about kind of just generally the space is because we're, we're, we are working upstream. I mean, there's been, there's a lot of work and support on trying to make just battery pack efficiencies much more Like lower lower those cost profiles, lower those carbon profiles, Um, and you know that's been and also scale them in an effective way, right? So you're seeing all these gigafactories come online. It's great; they're becoming more and more efficient as that continues going on. Uh, I mean, I think the next where you're starting to see a little bit more emphasis of the market now is everyone's going, "Oh, that's great," and whoa, this is now the biggest bottleneck by far, right? So you have to then look. Further upstream, and, and say it's the active material. It's either getting your hands on the anode material, or you know, even producing and making the active material, which is like it is now turning into the biggest bottleneck. So they all are additive and important um, to continue to move forward. So I definitely think of um, I definitely try to work with a lot of those colleagues in the supply chain <laughs> and talk to them about what's worked and what hasn't, and you know, learn from them um, because I think it's it's so important that we we scale and grow
0: fast altogether uh, interesting it's going to be int- i think that because there's a lot of talk around um, tesla doing dry uh production but it, it kind of went quiet they, they acquired a company that had sort of made that technique for making uh, supercapacitors, and um there's a bit of talk at the time and then um i think um tesla came out with some some sort of comments about it in the future and then it sort of all went very quiet and we haven't really heard anything um since about it, which be interesting to know if it is something that's still on their, their um, kind of roadmap or, uh, if they maybe tried and, and hadn't, but I, I know other companies who are looking at that sort of, um, dry coating processes as well, cause it just seems to bring so many benefits from a, a cost process point of view
1: and not to, not to further emphasize it, but just from the benefits on the cost and carbon side, it's like a fraction of what addressing the cathode market does. So it's a solvable solution and that's important that markets, the, the markets have been looking at it. But, you know, I think it's been closer to battery manufacturing. So you are seeing, you know, as there's been an emphasis of more gigafactories, there's more of an emphasis of tackling the problem within gigafactories, but then outside of that is actually like getting the active material in, right? So it's, um, it's, a, again, a really important point. And I, you know, and you are going to see, I don't like, it's definitely not going to disappear. It's just a matter of implementation and then scaling it making it be effective and productive to get the results. Um, But, you know, so which is time and energy and money. (laughs) But so it was not going to disappear, you know, but it is, you know, it is like what I I think what happened for me is as I started to see these things in mainstream communications, right, in the industry. And then I started to see how I I bench them against um, what it means for sort of cathode carbon or, you know, affecting the manufacturing process over here, it's like it's a literally a fraction, right? Um, so I think the dry, dry anode process is like maybe, or sorry, just the dry, um, cathode or sorry, um, electrode process. It's something like 10% of the carbon profile of the battery. So it's a big piece of it, but spot wise, it's, you know, not as much at all. So that, that's what surprised me as I start to dive in a bit more um yeah, i
0: wouldn't have guessed that actually that's i've i i, I learned something there so I, w- I would have had it at a bigger number but that's uh yeah that's interesting so so it really is the the downstream process that's driving that uh that energy content so the, so the next question and and i couldn't really do an episode about battery technology without asking this question and um some people literally would hold their head in their hands and shake their head at me when i ask it, but. Um, solid state technology question mark. um you know that's often talked about as being the next kind of new dawn in uh, battery technology is solid state. there are, there's various companies working on it, people claiming to be near production, not so much with the large format cells for EVs, but definitely people making small uh, scale cells and and planning the the large ones. How, how would that impact upon what you're doing? You know, do you have a um, a, a part to play there or is that going to be a massive disruption?
1: Yeah, great, great question. So when you look at the battery cell, um, you know, you, I'm just going to kind of break it down. You, you you have the anode material, the electrolyte, and then the cathode material. Um, for solid state, most of the innovations uh, are around anode and electrolyte material. So, um, I'm not going to say all because there's a huge amount of development in the space, but, um, from looking at the cost of the packs of solid state, you're still using the same amount of cathode material. You might end up using a little bit lower amount, but not a huge amount lower. So the market's only going to increase as solid state comes online. um, and it looks like it's going to be more towards nickel, um, you know, nickel heavy materials. Um, So, you know, you're seeing a broader emphasis on the nickel there for solid state um, because you can't get around that for the performance. Um, And also um, the volumes are going to either maintain the same level of growth or even go higher with sort of solid state picking up, you know, and expanding the market in a newer way. So it's um, for for cathode, it doesn't, it, it only enhances or, you know, grows the market. But for anode, materials you'll see the a different blend of what's being used right so it's not going to be like graphite you know it's going to be like a uh, silicon anode or you know other materials and then it definitely changes the sort of electro electrolyte
0: that's um so you you've got you know quite a long path oh yeah 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 the road
1: the road is is long and massive <laughs> it's not it is not there is nothing in sight that can kind of that can disrupt that
0: You've thought this through, haven't you? You've thought this through.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Big, big problems. That's what we like to solve. Big, large, growing problems.
0: Looking forwards, um, you know, and this could be the com- a company thing or an industry thing, but w- what are you most excited about, uh, you know, that's going to happen in the next year or two?
1: Oh man, I'm excited. Um, well, one, I'm excited about the emphasis that I think is really real around carbon intensity and, um, an environmentally effective, uh, manufacturing process of unlocking, you know, the battery space. So that's been an exciting trend, you know, of course, recycling is an element of that, but it's, you know, it's kind of like, I think the market in general is trying to figure out how it's going to, how it's going to grow in in an energy efficient way, and I love that emphasis. And I think we're going to see more and more of that. Um, so I think the industry is really growing on how to talk about it and how to how to have apples to apples comparisons, right? Um, so there's going to be a lot more sophistication um, within the language of how to do things well, which you know is is going to be exciting for us. Um, and I think the other piece that's really exciting Um, that I think is connected to that is, you know, there's a flurry of activity. And I'm, you know, I've been very excited to see the openness and the rate at which sort of automotive OEMs and different large chemical cell manufacturers are learning and recognizing the space for parties like us that are innovating in a specific area and how important it is for us to do that innovation that then they can adopt, right. And be worked into and be worked into their innovation cycles. Cause I, you know, all of these markets are so bogged down by just scale and change. Right. And so I think that it's turning into a really nice role, um, for, you know, innovators that are kind of coming in, um, sort of on the startup side, you know, kind of innovating in, in tandem and parallel and really having a huge amount of collaboration. So, you know, I don't, um, you know, I was talking to some folks recently and, you know, people were noting that it's very, it, it hasn't been as typical to see, huge amounts of innovation and collaboration in this space. Like if, you know, at a battery conference, everyone's talking about how they can support each other and grow and what learnings they can, you know, learn with and, and expand and scale faster. Where, you know, if you were at like an oil conference, you know, how many years ago, even today, it's just all closed door strategy. Right. And it's, you know, it's not the same. Right. So
0: it's the evil empire. <laughs>
1: Yeah. It's a very, yeah, exactly. Just build your like, impi- you know, your empire in like a silo and you know um, and that's not the same as this industry. And that's, I don't know, that's really exciting. It's where I love to shine. I love collaboration and I really don't want to, you know, if there's anyone that can do what we can like parts of what we do better, love to work with them and focus on what we can do in the best way.
0: Here's a question to end on. One of the things, you know, in the industry um and and you know, i think you touched on it a little bit there but just to just expand on that a little bit um you know an oem or a tier one uh, supplier tier two supplier looking you know this is the core of their product this is like you know you've got to have your battery cells and supply chain under control for your battery pack um and and have a really clear strategy and have some you know be doing some things to to explore new tech but but it's such a, you know, this is the the heart of the product. If you get get it wrong, you're in, you know, in the, uh, up the creek without a paddle, we might say, um, to try and not put a rude word in the podcast again, like I did last time. Um, so um, yeah, I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. You're a, and you're a small company um, at the moment. Do you think that the climate at the moment is such that it's possible? For um, the larger companies to take a, a, a risk with a smaller company because they're so sort of keen um, and uh, you know, desperate is not quite the right word, but they're seeking out ways to make all of this make sense. That they're willing to take a risk, or do you? Is that still a really big barrier to you know to get someone to trust you to make their uh, material? So, so, do you see? Larger companies being prepared to take technology risk on smaller companies, particularly your company in the space that you're in right now.
1: I mean, short answer is yes, because I think they know they have to, right? Um it's the um literally there's not there's not a way to make battery materials that are net zero um with anything in the pipeline of conventional so you can't you can't just only adopt what's been done at small scale for cell phones and ex, you know extract that into the ev battery space because the market and the market focus has been to make these materials in a net zero way right so i think that just that alone is kind of daunting and they know that they have to adopt new right um and i think the other piece of it which we try to make easy for Parties we're talking to, and we're 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 early on this. We have a lot of, you know, we've had a lot of mentors and advisors in the space, but you know, we just came out of stealth mode. So um the industry partners we work with have been really receptive. But um generally, you know, these investments in making like a, an existing cathode manufacturing plan is 350 million, 450 million capex install, not to mention the operating costs. These are like billion dollar projects, right? Um, why wouldn't you put like 10, 20, 50, even hundred million over here <laughs> to see if that can, if that works to save you billions of dollars in literally the next five to 10 years, you know, it, it like, it would be silly. Like, I mean, you know, from an executive standpoint, it's kind of like, who's the silly person that doesn't sign on to, um, planting some of those optionality seeds, because one, we know that investment in the future, the same as, you know, conventional methods are not going to get us to where the future needs to go. And the investments into a novel solutions is so much lower, um, in sort of a CapEx extended, you know, you, you, if you just do the math that even if you, you know, don't knock out of the part right away, even if you have a slow rate of progression. You still take billions and billions of dollars, you know? So not to mention the competitive edge and all the things.
0: The risk of not doing something is much bigger than the risk of doing something.
1: Completely. And I, you know, it's so good. like what I'm excited by is that it's so obvious right now, right? It's so obvious, even at the government level. Um, the risk of not doing something, right? Not doubling down, not putting a bunch of investment and building out this infrastructure is so high that everyone is, you know, you have to move. So I think it's the same type of mentality that is painful. And, you know, people have had to learn. It's not what comes naturally, <laughs> right? I think everyone doesn't like change. So um, at a visceral level, but I think now it's the, actually the risk of not changing is is so much greater. And um, that type of mentality is, is starting to gain a lot of traction.
0: Well, uh, thank you so much for that. Um, it's been, been really interesting to learn more about what you're doing and, uh, and the potential of it as well. I mean, that's fascinating. Um, but thanks for taking the time out to, uh, to talk to me today. That's been, uh, been fantastic. Thanks Virginia.
1: Completely. Yeah. My pleasure and have a, have a wonderful rest of your week.